Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. And this podcast allows people to share their stories of abuse and religious trauma in various religions and cults. Some guests come on the show to discuss specific topics to educate and bring awareness. Discussions will range from purity culture, mental health, religious trauma, Christian culture, deconstruction, spirituality, and much more. Now, let's get into this episode of Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger, and I am so happy to have Sarah Van Eaton Sarah Van Eaton Leopold, who was raised in a conservative, evangelical, non-denominational church. And when she started to explore her beliefs, she was spiritually abused and rejected from her church. As a result, she has received a complex PTSD diagnosis. She has struggled with gender dysphoria and identifies as a queer woman. The spiritual abuse led to an abusive marriage and a divorce, and years later, her faith fell apart due to the church's response to her fiancé's death. Today, Sarah spends a lot of her free time writing about religious trauma as a way to support other survivors. Thank you so much, Sarah, for coming back on the show today. Of course, I'm happy to be here. Yes, and so for people listening, I recorded an episode with Sarah, and the audio unfortunately did not end up okay, and so I reached out to her and um, I was so glad she was happy to come back on and she was excited to um, feel more comfortable about telling her story. So I appreciate her flexibility um, for being able to do this again. Um, but as we get into your story, what was your first exposure interaction with religion? At what age did that start? Um, well, it was basically immediately from birth, because <laughs> honestly, maybe even before, I think my parents would probably read the Bible to me when I was like in utero. Um, so it was all that I ever knew, um, which really led to me being, I think, terrified of anything outside of outside of the church. Um, and I was part of a church that from the outside doesn't look super extreme I guess and so I guess the, one of the reasons I like to tell my story is just shedding light on the fact that even like a kind of typical average like evangelical church that doesn't seem like it's on the fringes it can still have like a lot of abuse and really devastating effects mm, yes I'm so glad you are telling your story and honoring that because I feel like some people, they feel like, oh, like it has to be this certain kind of group or this kind of extremity, but it happens in all kinds of churches and doesn't have to swing one way or the other. And so for you, as you were growing up in this, what were toxic beliefs that really affected you? Um, I think the two that stick out to me the most when I think about it is the performance culture aspect of it and then also the kind of subtle 
but really pervasive messages I received about um, being a woman. And um, so with the performance culture, I was basically constantly on edge. Like I could never relax. I could never just be myself. There was this emphasis on like reputation and how important it was to avoid the appearance of evil. And that was just so intense. Like even though they didn't necessarily specifically talk about it constantly it was just in the culture like there was so much gossip and judgment and so you just always knew like if they're talking about other people they're also talking about you <laughs> and um sometimes even just driving to church even as a child I would just feel nervous on her way and I didn't know at the time like what anxiety was and didn't understand how it was affecting me like always performing, always basically being on a stage in front of hundreds of people and every single action or thought was being constantly evaluated by other people. And that's something that unfortunately affects me hugely even today. And I can't really just get over that, that feeling that I'm being constantly watched and, and judged. Um, and I guess the other one that really sticks out is just having this very early memory of me as I think I was probably five years old and um, I was helping my dad outside we were stacking firewood and um, and I was always, always very happy like being outside and working with my hands and doing things that in that culture was considered a little bit more masculine and I remember looking toward the house and seeing my mom bustling around the kitchen and cooking stew or something for us and the windows were all steamy and it sounds like a nice childhood memory, but at the time it was actually pretty, um, I guess, upsetting to me because I realized that I identified more with the kind of person um, that my dad was, but I identified less so with the kind of person that my mom was and knowing that I was going to have to grow up to be like my mom. Um, and that started a lot of like fear and, um, I guess just dreading like the passing of time. So those are the two things that stick out to me the most. Mm, yes. And I relate to so much to what you're saying about just every single thought and the judgment. Um, just being in that state of like hypervigilance and really it's in, it's also so anxiety inducing in a sense and i remember learning about scrupulosity ocd just these obsessions with religious or these moral things and, and it really happens a lot in these environments and it's a part of all really the control it's their way to control your mind if they can make you believe that there's this being that's watching everything you do and it's going to evaluate you based on that and, and it's judging you and you know they might say oh yeah you're saved you know in air quotes and you're free but this still separates you from god or whatever so there's always some like something always something to make you afraid to make you mm -hmm. conform and you're just living in that constant state so as you got older, I started dealing with that and dealing with the patriarchal teachings and that environment. And as you were dreading getting older, 
how did that affect you? And when did you really start questioning this system? And what did that look like? Um, yeah, so I think my first response to like survive all of this was to like play the game and do it really well and to follow the rules. And I was pretty good at it. Like I'm naturally somebody that likes to please people and likes to do a good job at things. And so I guess for the most part, I was looked up to by a lot of people in the church and I was part of a family that was fairly well known. And so I was kind of like in the sort of edges of the popular circle, you know, and um, so there's like this kind of status thing where you kind of know your place in the hierarchy, you know, and I was like high enough up that I was safe, you know, um, but I actually started working for a Christian family that went to our church. And this is when I was about 15, I think, and they had a farm. And so we were working on the farm with them. And this particular family was even more extreme than the church tended to be. And so I ended up being like thrust into like a mini bubble within the bubble of like even more extremism. And in order to keep these friendships and keep this job, I had to like voluntarily like self-police even more and create additional rules on top of what my family had given me so I had to wear like longer shorts and I couldn't wear tank tops and and things that were like okay by my family's standards but not okay with this other family and it was actually really interesting because before I met this family I'd actually prayed for more friends because I hadn't like I tend to be more of an introvert and I didn't have a lot of friends. And, and I remember praying, like, I want to meet this huge family that has like 10 kids and all of them can be my friend and it'll be great. And then a little bit later, I met this huge family that had like 10 kids and we started becoming friends. And I think that idea that it was an answered prayer is also what really sucked me in. Um, and I think I started to realize over the years how dangerous that can be just, um, you can pray pretty much anything you want to. And if it happens to come true, then you feel more committed to that situation, you know? Um, and so basically the anxiety was ramping up even more. And my boss at the farm, he would tell us outright and directly, like, we are watching you around town. Like we want you to represent our company well and so we're making sure that like the things that we see you doing not only represents God but represents us as a family <laughs> and it was this huge amount of pressure and I end up going home from work every day like in tears most of the time and I guess I just kind of thought this was normal and thought that it was part of living a good life and doing the best that you can uh, where it kind of all started falling apart and where I started deconstructing was a few years later, I was about 18 and um, maybe about 19. And so I'd been working for them for like almost four years. And um, I had met a, like a guy at a Christian conference and we became pretty close friends. And I decided that I wanted to go and visit him. He actually lived in another state. And to me, it was pretty innocent, not a big deal. Like, I'm just going to go visit him and his family. But that was a huge deal to this family that I worked for. And to my family, didn't really like it either. And 
basically in the course of like a few days or a week as this news started getting out my status like completely changed in the community I was suddenly a bad person um everybody thought I was going out to see him like trying to be inappropriate you know like you're gonna be with a guy without a chaperone like those kinds of things and I basically lost everything like I I knew I'm either going to go ahead and make this decision and continue and go on this trip or I could try to backtrack and I might sort of save the situation a little bit Uh, and I decided to just go ahead (laughs) with it and I think that was maybe my first decision toward deconstruction because I just realized like something's wrong about this like I know my heart I know that I'm still a Christian I know that I believe the same things I'm not trying to do something wrong and if they're freaking out this much and they're this controlling and there's intentional gossip and people are trying to make me look bad and they're intentionally telling people that they know would have power to hurt my reputation like it just felt so wrong um so that was me starting to deconstruct but it was also the start of my trauma um I do think I have trauma further back just like growing up as a child in this environment but this is like the start of me like actually developing PTSD and like debilitating symptoms um just everything I'd ever been afraid of happened all at once and um and at that time like this is probably right around 2010 or so and um there wasn't really a huge online deconstruction community at the time and there really wasn't a huge understanding of like PTSD outside of like a veterans context. And there was really no resources for me to gain to know what was happening to me. And even looking back on my journals now, like it's heartbreaking because I was writing things like something's wrong with me. I feel like I'm mentally ill. Like I feel sick, like what's, what's happening, you know? And, um, I actually happened to come across a blog article. It was not scientific. It was just a pastor reflecting on the fact that he saw so many young people come through his church that exhibited signs that seemed similar to PTSD. So he actually called it um, post-traumatic church disorder, um, which I know is not, you know, an actual diagnosis but that was just his word he put on it and I remember just feeling like a a light bulb went off in my head and I was like oh my goodness (laughs) like I think that's what's happening to me um and so that's kind of where it all started is just me becoming really passionate about trying to figure out what's going on like what's true like why um why am I suddenly so different like why do I feel afraid all the time? Like, why am I depressed all the time? And um, just trying to figure out what was happening to me and um, figure out what was true. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really curious, going through all of that, you did eventually become a pastor. Yeah. <laughs> so very, dig into um... that. Wow. There's a lot yeah, it's, there. It's a pretty complex journey. Um, So right around this time as really my whole life was falling apart, I guess the way that I started deconstructing was finding like a more progressive form of Christianity and 
what I believed was to be a more true form of the faith. And I guess I would still say that it seems like progressive Christianity is much healthier. <laughs> um, and so I happened to find like a college ministry. I had just started going to college around this time and they were with the Assemblies of God. So they tend to be um, more Pentecostal, which is a little bit more free, at least in a spiritual sense. Um, like the individual can hear directly from God versus like only listening to like one person in the pulpit, like that kind of thing. And this particular um, branch of Pentecostalism like affirms women in leadership, which was hugely healing for me to see women actually having like a voice in the community and that kind of thing. Um, and so I actually just got really passionate about um, living like in an intentional community situation. So not just going to church on Sundays, but actually living with your community on a daily basis. And I saw these people every day since we were at college and we were on a secular campus. So I felt like we were a little bit less in the bubble and we had friends that we interacted with every single day that weren't Christians. And that was like a first for me. Um, and I was also starting to like gain exposure to other Christian traditions, other voices and get a lot of inspiration from them. Um, like one person that really uh, impacted me a lot was um, Shane Claiborne in the simple way. Um, he's, I think he's um, moved on a little bit now and does other work besides just this in intentional community. But at the time he was like the founder of this uh, community in Philadelphia called the simple way and they lived together in an intentional way where they shared their resources kind of like we see in the beginning of acts and it was very much about sharing and commonality and nonviolence and all of these things that I saw so reflected in in the bible if you like look for it and I was just so excited and so passionate about doing that in my life and this community seemed like a way that I could do that and so I just kept pushing further into it and eventually um as I started moving up the leadership ranks in this community like I did an internship and the internship prepares you for becoming a pastor so by the time you're done with the studies and the volunteering and all of that took about two years then you have all the credentials you need to take a test and become a licensed pastor um and I only was actually in that official licensed pastor place for about a year even though I had been doing this exact same work for probably about um six or seven years at that point um but as I just started moving up the ranks I just started seeing more and more like it wasn't just like my little community everywhere like it's this huge denomination across the globe you know like my community seemed a little more on the healthy side but we would go to leadership conferences like in the Bible belts and they were very different. <laughs> they were very traditional and very strict. And I noticed bits of hypocrisy, like where women were allowed to be pastors, but culturally you're still kind of expected to like submit to your husband and step down to have children and all of that. And, and even though they're accepting of women they were not accepting of queer folks and there was just more and more problems that I started noticing like the deeper I got into it 
that were under the surface. And there were a few times where students would actually come up to me and ask me about our stance, like on whether we were queer affirming. And I always felt like I had to hide the, the truth of what our stance was because it was not pretty, <laughs> you know, like I, I didn't want to tell them like, oh yeah, no, we don't accept you, you know? And that started becoming a huge eye-opener for me as well. Like if I have to hide parts of who we are, like that's terrible. Like I can't, I can't do this anymore. So uh, I eventually found like a, a loophole in the contract that I had to sign and just got out <laughs> and I like over-spiritualized it. Like, oh, God's leading me in a new direction and all that kind of stuff. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah. Like use use their language and their beliefs against them. Like because mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, if you were a hundred percent honest, you didn't use their spiritual terms, they would have shamed and blamed you. Like you're protecting yourself to totally understand. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was still a little bit tricky because um so doing this pastoral work, the way they had it set up is you would fundraise your income so you're not actually like an employee you're Ugh. meeting with hundreds of people and asking them to make monthly pledges and that kind of thing and that was actually so terrible <laughs> it was stressful and difficult because every single one of those people on my team felt entitled to me behaving a certain way because of the money that they were giving and oh. I was I was basically like accountable to them for my every action, but there's like 200 of them and they all have different beliefs because there's no consistency in Christianity. <laughs> so as I was like writing my newsletters and updating my supporters, it was so tricky to talk about what we were doing because some people wanted to hear more about the Holy Spirit and all these miracles and healings and other people thought that was like too crazy and they did not want to hear about that and some people wanted to hear about like social justice issues and like ways that we were reaching out to other cultures and lifting up those voices and and that's great and then some people thought that was like liberal and they didn't want to hear that you know so like I couldn't please everybody so even when I was making the decision to leave the ministry some people understood and they're like oh that's that's great God's leading you in a new direction and other people were pretty upset and people seem to like feel entitled to a lot of details about my life because of the money that they were giving almost like they owned a part of me and even things off the clock like if I went on a vacation or something like technically my money part of it came from them so they felt like they could ask questions like, oh, how can you afford that? And why did you take time off? And it just got to be so ridiculous. And that was its own kind of trauma. It, it really tied me to like the church I came out of as a child because a lot of my supporters were still going to that church. And so how did you leave that environment? And what was like the last draw for you? Um, I think the last straw actually was the stance on, on queer folks and not being affirming. And at the time, I don't think I fully realized it myself, but I was part of the queer community and I just had been so repressed. I like 
didn't even know. Um, but it was just such an important thing to me, like regardless of whether I was part of the community or not, like I just knew in my heart, like I had this strong conviction, like we can't treat people like this. Like it's causing so much damage. Like even, even if it is a sin, like it's clearly more important to love people and to have them have a healthy connection with God than to isolate them. Like, like I just felt so strongly about that, that I think that was one of the main things. And uh, there was a particular student who, um, she actually came up to me and said, like, I'm so glad I found this community because if I hadn't found an accepting and affirming community, I wouldn't be a Christian. And then I realized like her whole entire faith was based on a lie because we were not affirming. It was just actually kind of like secret. Like we didn't talk about it. Um, and actually the way that I left was, um, you're allowed to like make changes in your contract based on like family changes so like if you get married or have a baby something like that and so I just got married <laughs> to the person I'd been dating for a while we weren't really ready I wouldn't say like we'd been dating for like five years at this point but a lot of it had been long distance and and we neither of us were really following like the strict evangelical timeline of like get married in nine months you know that kind of thing and um and we wanted to just like travel and get to know each other but that's not okay so we're just like what the heck let's just get married and um that ended up being a disaster on a lot of levels because um basically all these messages that both of us had been taught like about men's and women's roles it's just like the perfect recipe for an abusive relationship and that's exactly what happened because did you seek help and guidance when you're dealing and going through that abusive marriage? Um, I did a little bit for my closest friends, um, but there's so much shame around like having marriage troubles. Like you're supposed to like follow God's plan and get married and then everything is perfect. And so admitting to someone, like, I'm not sure if this is going to work or, um, uh, these certain things that we're doing in our marriage don't line up with your beliefs, you know, like I couldn't really admit those things. And so um, I did talk to, I guess, maybe two or three of my really closest friends and all of them just really downplayed what was going on and talked about how I should stay. And like, he just got married, like give him a chance and like that kind of stuff. And I even had some pretty valid concerns, like photos of him being like pretty friendly with other women and and things like that and they're just like oh I'm sure you're misinterpreting it he wouldn't do that like those kinds of things and so that did keep me there a little bit longer I just felt very invalidated um and I just didn't really have the support system since I kind of walked away from it you know like people were already like slightly suspicious since I'd left the ministry and um and I, I do believe that the way things are set up in evangelical culture, like, I think it's intentional, at least to some degree. Like, if you can get enough young people to get married while their brains are still developing and while you still have strict religious beliefs, you're a lot less likely to leave. And if you 
like tie yourself to another person who has the same beliefs as you before you've had a chance to explore those beliefs you're a lot less likely to deconstruct because then you lose not just your community but your marriage and it's just so much more costly so I do think that being pushed into marriage is at least partly on purpose to keep people in the church and I I don't know how much it's like a conscious thing but I I really believe looking back that it's all part of the plan and and that if they can get you while you're young get you into like ministry contracts get you into a marriage like and then especially if you have children in the church like you're just that much more tied and it's so much harder to leave so I definitely experienced some of that it just gets a lot more complicated trying to get out Mm, I like your observation about the marriage thing because I think there is truth in that like number one it's ridiculous that they're trying to get us married before our brains are even fully developed and then to me just also um clinging to a belief system and claiming it as truth and as the only way again before our brains are fully developed and it's no accident that childhood indoctrination and these environments is a thing like it's all about they're thinking about the long term and really keeping the church going because they need people to give money and to Mm -hmm. attend and (laughs) because that's just how it works and so for you, as you left, did anyone reach out or show that they cared or? Um, honestly, not really. Um, I mean, I had a few closer friends that stayed in touch, but for the most part, like once you step outside of the structure that you're a part of, like all your friendships just fall apart. And I've heard a lot of other people say the same thing. It's it's kind of shocking and insulting to realize like I thought we were so close and shared these really intimate parts of our lives and then just because you don't see me every like Wednesday and Sunday anymore like I don't exist to you (laughs) so I really didn't have too much support and then there's so much about my life that felt so scandalous I guess like I'm having marriage issues I'm questioning my faith Um, my husband was even like more deconstructed than I was like clearly not all in good ways because he was very abusive but um there was just too much that I couldn't say without terrifying consequences and and now at this point I'm out enough where I like don't totally care what people think but at that point what other people think is costly like it actually does matter like they can attack you they can make your life miserable like there's so much that they actually can do to hurt you and and so I guess I just feel sorry for people when the only advice they're given is like don't care what people think because that can harm you (laughs) what people think about you when you're in those high control religions like it really does Mm. harm you Mm. um so i I just want to like take that seriously for folks like it's it's not just brushing off opinions you know yeah Mm -hmm. yeah because you had talked about earlier really the social control that they have to like the gossiping and talking behind your back so people mm-hmm. realize the consequences of that and so for you as you, you know you got out how did you leave or escape that abusive marriage yeah um well I mentioned we were only married for about 
a year or well, maybe I forgot to mention that, but so we had been dating for like five or six years and the marriage itself only lasted for about a year. And, um, but even though the marriage was so short, like the relationship itself was like so long that it, it just took me so long to get out, you know? Um, and throughout all these red flags, instead of pulling back, I just kept pushing in further, you know? And, um, part of it was because at least in my church, I don't know how common this is, but I heard over and over and over again, people complaining about how hard marriage was and they would always follow it up with, Oh, but it's so worth it. You know, but it was always like, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. It's for your holiness, not for your happiness. Um, men and women are so different. It's such a challenge. Like nobody seemed happy. So when I started experiencing these like difficulties, even in my dating relationship, I didn't really take it that seriously because marriage is the hardest thing you'll ever do. Like this makes sense, you know? Um, so I really had to get to like a total breaking point to actually leave. Um, basically like we had been traveling. So we were like in other States and other countries. So I had like zero support, no, nobody nearby to talk to. And his like narcissistic behavior started getting like too textbook for me to ignore, like starting to try to control who I talked to and threatening to take away my health insurance and my cell phone and like those kinds of things. And I just felt so alone and so scared all the time. And I started finding more and more evidence that he was like cheating on me. And I found evidence where things that he would deny me, like money like he was one of the well he was the only one working at the time and he would just give me a really small like allowance every month and expect me to pay most of the bills with it somehow um but then he would give a lot of money to like his female friends and stuff and and honestly that even kind of hurt more than like the relationship cheating and stuff I was like I'm like struggling financially here and we're trying to keep all our finances separate and and yet you're like just randomly giving $2,000 to like a, a female friend of yours, you know, and um, those kinds of things just, just got to be a little too much for me to keep ignoring. And I did have a couple of people I was talking to, which they really encouraged me to leave. And um, most of the people, I guess there's more than a couple when I finally got to making the decision, I was probably talking to five or six people at that point. And most of them were Christians. There was one person who wasn't. And so having that advice from Christian people to tell me this isn't okay, you need to get out helped because it just helped to like remove some of the guilt and the shame um, to know that even if I'm keeping my faith, like I can still make this decision and take care of myself. Um, so basically I just packed up my stuff one day and got in the car and drove back to Washington state, which is where I'm living. And we were on the East coast. So I drove like literally ocean to ocean to just get back home. <laughs> and it took oh, me like 11, wow. 11 days. And mm. I would just by myself for 11 days, just like reflecting on the decisions I was making and getting further and further away. And that's, that's how I got away. Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. I, I'm glad you were able to get away. And you, mm -hmm. you learn to just, you know what, I'm not going to engage with this person anymore because I won't do anything. It'll just get worse. So yeah, I'm so glad that you just left without even 
telling that person mm-hmm. like prioritizing your own safety yeah it was it was definitely tricky I had a few obstacles at it get over mm-hmm. like money for instance I had nothing so like how do you pay for gas for like 3,000 miles um so I had a friend that like loaned me some money and I didn't have a place to live when I got back so I just showed up at a friend's community house where there's like five or six people living there that I knew and I was like hey I'm here can you guys let me stay and just like finding a way to make it work even though really like on paper it it wasn't an easy situation so Mm, yeah well I'm glad it sounds like it did work out at least Mm -hmm. oh wow yeah I'm it's one of the moments that I'm most proud of I guess because it's it just takes so much for somebody to leave a situation like that. So I, mm-hmm. I really feel a lot of empathy for people that are struggling to leave or people that mm-hmm. haven't totally realized that they need to yet. Cause it's, it really rewires your brain and it messes with your head and things that seem so obvious from the outside or not when you're stuck in it. And I used to be kind of judgy of people in those situations, like just leave already, you know, but now I understand both from leaving a really abusive religion and leaving an abusive marriage how incredibly difficult that is and and needing to completely rebuild your life from the ground up like financially community wise like figuring out your career um a lot of the times coming out of these situations you don't have like good job experience you know just like practical things like that and um, so I guess, yeah, it's probably one of the moments I'm most proud of that I somehow navigated that. Mm, yes, and as you should be, because that's it's not easy. It's not easy at all. And so for you, as you're dealing with all, like literally starting over your life and dealing with that trauma, like how has your healing journey been? Mm. Ah, it's been long and complicated. <laughs> um I, I think like I mentioned earlier, I got like super passionate about like the topic of PTSD and studying it and trying to learn how it affects our brains and uh, helping other people with it and like creating community around this. So uh, like I mentioned, I moved into like a kind of little community house situation. There were like five or six of us living together and it was a pretty small space. So like we had multiple people crammed in the same bedroom, you know, things like that. And Um, and then later when the lease was up and people started moving in different directions we actually just like recreated a new community um, downtown where we were living and we just like shared everything we had like a garden and like a meal share and like a car share and just kind of living in these like radical like countercultural ways and it wasn't even like specifically Christian like I would say maybe half the people involved were Christians and we were mostly just doing it because it seemed like the right thing to do. And that was really healing for me. Um, partially because as I was questioning the church, people would tell me things like, how dare you think you can do it better? And like, you would never create like a sustainable community that could actually work. And then here I was doing it. And that just felt like a big F you <laughs> to those people. <laughs> like, this is like working really well. <laughs> and it was great um and then that's right around the time that I met my fiance who um we mentioned in the intro has since passed away um I'm sorry yeah it's definitely another heartbreaking part of my story um 
but he had a huge part in my healing. Like he was just, um, so like accepting of where I was at. And like, I think he got a lot of like life purpose out of helping me. Cause I think he dealt with like his own depression and like wondering what, what his purpose was. And so he just, just dedicated his whole self to like taking care of me and like healing me. And, um, and we did both grow to the point where like, that wasn't the only thing in our relationship, which is good. Um, but he just was so dedicated and so focused on helping me that I think that's kind of what I needed at the time. Someone who was just like solely focused on me because I'd never been anyone's priority. I'd always been kind of just treated as like a, a cog in the machine or a means to an end, you know? And so for him to have so much hope and faith in me to tell me like, you aren't your PTSD, like you will get better. Like I'm seeing progress in you every day, like those kinds of things and being patient with me when I was insecure, like would cry for hours, you know, things like that. And, um, and I actually, it was in 2020, I believe when I actually got finally my official diagnosis of PTSD, it took literally 10 years for me to be able to access that and to be able to find like the access to healthcare and the right fit with like a mental health care provider that could get me like the assessments that I needed to give me an official diagnosis. And so realizing now too, like even a diagnosis is like a privilege and a hard thing to access. Um, and I remember being happy actually when I got it because it was so validating. It was like, an official piece of paper that recognized like, yes, everything that's ever happened to you that, that hurt you, like that was wrong. Like it did actually mess up your, your brain chemistry. And, and so my fiance, Caleb and I, we kind of like celebrated that together. Like, like, yes, this is real. And yes, you're getting better. Yes. You're making progress. And I actually was leading like a trauma support group at the time where we just would read through um, like the body keeps the score. It's kind of like the trauma Bible. <laughs> and we would just like read through sections of that and just talk about it and um, just share bits of our story and, and help each other. And, um, and Caleb, he doesn't have an official like PTSD diagnosis, but he was really involved in that group because it's something that I cared about. And he was trying to learn as much as he could um, about what I was going through. So that was really healing um to like go through that together as a couple mm. yes and i mean your reaction to that diagnosis like just to go around feeling like oh like something's wrong with me and you're you're taught this up like oh you're broken blah blah, blah and all this and to know that okay like i have the, a diagnosis there are core issues and it's not me it was what was done to me mm -hmm. and you know this is something I can heal and again like you said it's so validating because I feel like a lot of us who grew up in these environments we gaslight ourselves a lot because uh, basically like, I think that's really what we were taught to do mm -hmm. <laughs> and we were ashamed we were blamed and I'm glad that your then partner was able to help you and so as you continued on your healing journey, I mean, just losing your partner, 
oh my gosh, like what, how did you handle that? It's kind of ironic because about five months before Caleb passed away, Caleb's best friend became a widow. And I remember telling Caleb, like, I could not survive if that happened Mm. to me. Like, I can't live without you. And like, I just can't even imagine what that person's going through. Um, And it was literally just five months later that that's exactly what I was going through. Um, Mm. It was, it it just felt like another like attack from the universe, you know, like, cause I'd been through so much and I picked myself up off the ground over and over. I had started my life from scratch so many times at this point I'd scrambled like tooth and nail and I made it to a point where I felt pretty healed I like I wasn't really experiencing a lot of symptoms I like to talk about it as like being in remission because I don't think you really cure PTSD so Mm -hmm. I was in a season where it felt like it wasn't affecting me um we were extremely happy we had a, a wedding date set um really everything in my life was going really well. It was the kind of life I never thought I would have. And we were at the time part of a little tiny progressive church. Like it was um, kind of one of those churches where like they don't have any intent to control what you believe or how you act. It's just coming together to like discuss Jesus. And um, that seemed really cool for us. Caleb did not identify as a Christian, but he was just still really fascinated in being part of this community with me. And so I had like everything I thought I wanted, like a church that was finally healthy, like this partner that loved me so much. Um, And just like in an instant that just got completely taken away. Um, It was very unexpected. He died in an accident and um, I was just home alone when I got a knock on the door, you know, from a coroner and and that's not the kind of thing that you expect that would ever happen to you. Um, and I, I was, so at this time, this was about two years ago now, and I was still like pretty solidly Christian, like very progressive, like very mystic, very open, but still like a Christian. And um, I would say that I was angry at God, but somehow the actual tragedy itself didn't necessarily shake my faith because I don't think I had believed for a while that God was like in control of every little thing that happens like I think even seeing COVID kind of convinced me like there's no way that God just like allowed this you know (laughs) so I I don't think that that really shook my faith but then seeing how the church responded that like destroyed what little I had left basically um because I'm I'm at my darkest and lowest point and this is where the church has a moment to like really show up and show me that they have something of value to offer show me that there is healing in their faith there is like a support system like taking care of the widows and the orphans like it's a main part of Christianity and honestly I didn't really receive a lot of support like I I both did and didn't like I I set up a GoFundMe because there's always like a financial burden that comes along with losing somebody and I actually like financially got a lot of support but it was mostly from people that either didn't really know me or weren't Christians and it was like the close people who are like really devout Christians that like really let me down and um, 
people that were just giving shallow answers like oh everything happens for a reason like god's ways are higher than our ways and even my progressive church like i was disappointed in them like they did organize a meal train and that was amazing that really helped but that was pretty much it like they would come over just to bring me the meals and that was all like no other visits no other contact like i just felt kind of forgotten about and um and then Caleb's family, they're like extremely fundamentalist, like really strict in their Christianity. And they did not treat me well at all. Like um, they were talking about me behind my back saying like that I was following the occult and I was struggling in my faith and God was using this to bring me closer. And they even like, a few of them even said that like, God basically killed Caleb before he got to a point in his spirituality where he would have gone to hell because <laughs> uh, yeah it was it was ridiculous like the horrible things that were said and um since we were a few months away from the wedding the way they viewed me was so much different like they didn't view me as his wife even though we really considered ourselves husband and wife and mm -hmm they viewed themselves as like the closest family and like they made all the decisions around the funeral and they forced an extremely religious funeral on us like even though I tried my best to make changes and like control how crazy it got um and then there was like the legal aspect where I didn't have control over Caleb's accounts, like his money and whatnot, because I was not technically his wife yet. And so his father was put in charge of that. And for months he was talking about like getting me that money. And um, cause this is money we were saving for a future. It rightfully should have been mine. And he was even like, saying like, okay, well get me your social security number and I'll add you to the account and you can just withdraw like that kind of stuff. And then finally, like a year later, it takes that long sometimes to sort it out. He um, gave me a pretty small check and he was like, oh yeah, this is all that there was. And I was like, I know that's not the case. And I found out that he had taken most of it either for himself or his kids and walked around telling people it was because I was a cheap woman who like, pulled Caleb away from the faith and like I didn't deserve it and like those kinds of things and honestly like that was kind of the last straw I was like okay like I'm just done <laughs> like I just want to have nothing to do with this faith like everybody is claiming to represent God and this is how they're acting and I just felt no need to identify with that anymore I guess and there's ways that I like feel some camaraderie with Christianity still like it's always going to be the culture I came out of it's always going to be part of my heritage and I'm still fascinated with like healthy progressive theologies and I like love to hear about academic bible studies and things that like really get into like a healthier view of the scriptures but as far as my day-to-day -day life I feel like no obligation <laughs> to like live according to that it just honestly it broke me like the way they responded I just can't anymore mm, yeah I'm so sorry you went through all that thanks yeah it was, it was pretty intense and I I like I'm 
not glad it happened. I'm not going to be one of those people that's like, oh, it was worth it, you know, but at least I found out what they're made of, I guess. Like, at least I know now, mm-hmm. like they, sh- they showed their true colors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and some of these people, like people had reached out to like with the GoFundMe and whatnot, like they'd been people we had like literally lived together for years, mm. like, like brother and sister type of relationships and, um, and people that like, we were so close that they like added me as family on Facebook or like they, um, like we, like we did life together on a daily basis. Like these are not just friends, you know, <laughs> and these are, mm-hmm really deep close relationships and they just totally ignored my messages like I had seven different people that all were that close that just totally ignored every message I sent about what I was going through and I'm never gonna fully understand that like I just I can't even begin to understand like why and that's I guess that just shows to me like what's at the basis of a lot of people's faith is not a whole lot (laughs) like it's a lot of it seems like it's for show and and a lot of these people are from different denominations different age groups different parts of the country like this isn't just a one church problem like this this is widespread and I think that just completely turned me off to be honest Mm. yes and so as you moved on from that how I think you had mentioned earlier how you met your current husband is that correct yeah um so I mentioned a little bit earlier in the podcast that five months before Caleb passed away his best friend's spouse died and that's actually the person I'm with now is Caleb's best friend Jared and I think the only way that either of us would have felt like we could even entertain another relationship at that point is the fact that we were both widows we both knew what it was like and we were grieving the same person too like we both Mm. knew Caleb really well and unfortunately I only met his wife once I didn't know her super well but it was just so bonding that we could cry about the same person and that we knew that heartbreak so intimately and we just immediately became each other's biggest support like we would just hold each other and cry for hours and like have all those really deep conversations that question like the meaning of life and all these existential things that we were dealing with that most young people don't need to think about. And, Mm. um, and so that just kind of naturally evolved into a relationship. And I, I personally do believe that Jared is the only person that Caleb would have fully trusted to like take care of me, you know? and and I I also know that Caleb would have respected whatever decision I made but if he had to like pick someone like it would have been Jared and Mm. that's like super comforting to me knowing that even my current relationship is honoring Caleb and um I'm actually even though I don't really identify with Christianity right now I'm still very spiritual and I've had a lot of encounters where it feels like Caleb is sending me signs and like talking to me and he has affirmed this multiple times like he's just so like supportive and happy for me and he's like here is like my guide and is like watching out for me but he's like not jealous or upset that we're together Mm. that those are all the signs that I've gotten from him and um 
So I'm not going to say like, oh, it was all meant to be because I'm never going to say that about somebody dying, but um, it feels like it's the most beautiful result that could have happened from something so tragic. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so how long have you been with your current um, husband? Um, we actually started dating pretty quick after Caleb passed away. So mm-hmm. about two years and then we've been married about six months or so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or I guess maybe eight months, something like that. <laughs> I lose track. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, it was just another one of those situations where like, people wouldn't really approve, but I'm like, I don't really give a fuck, you know, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. like I choosing to like recognize the amount of intimacy I have with this person by putting a dating label on it does not in any way take away from how much love and commitment and support I have for who Caleb is as a person. Like I'll never replace him. Like he's, I even feel like I'm spiritually with both of them. Like Caleb is Mm -hmm. still my partner. Like I, I still love him so much. Um, and people did get kind of nasty sometimes about us but I was like you know like at this point like I don't even care (laughs) you know things can't get too much worse sometimes with how Mm. people react so we just did what was good for us Mm. yeah so I'm glad you were able to find each other and give each other the comfort you both needed and build a new life going forward and so I, I do. I absolutely love that you're still spiritual also. Um, so open to that and not forcing yourself to have to conform to a certain religion or practice but still being open to that. Um, but for you, what advice would you, would you give to people who are stuck in these toxic religious environments? Um. I would probably start with trying to encourage themselves to view themselves as a good person and a trustworthy person um, because a religion attacks that like religion tells us that we're evil that we're flawed at our core that we can't trust ourselves and so I would encourage them to start trying to build up that part of themselves because once you believe that you're good you're going to start believing that you deserve good things And then you can start to evaluate whether you're actually getting that in your church or not. And once you start to trust yourself, then you can believe that your perspective on what's happening to you is also trustworthy and accurate. And um, I guess the the next step would be just like talk to people and get as much support and help as you can outside of that bubble. And it doesn't mean that you have to leave, like you could get support and talk to people and decide that staying is the best choice for you, but you won't be able to make that decision um, with no bias unless you're talking to people that are able to give you an outside perspective. So I would just really encourage like secular therapy or like a friend or family member or anybody who's like outside of the church that can give you some support and help and just help you process it. Mm, yes and so is there anything else you would like to cover or say before we end this interview um I guess I just wanted to touch a little bit on the work that I'm doing now as like a way to both process my own healing and to try to reach out to other people um 
something that Caleb had encouraged me to do throughout our relationship is just try to start publishing my writing online because I've been writing just for myself for years and he just kept encouraging me he's like you have good things to say your voice deserves to be heard and he was pretty techy and so he's like I can build you a website I can make this happen well I never got around to it while he was alive but then um, not too long after he passed away um, Jared is also really good with computers and he's like hey as a way to honor Caleb and to help your healing journey like I would like to further the work that he never got to finish and I would like to take this project mm -hmm. on and that just meant so much to me and it felt like the perfect thing to do so we did that um, and I have been publishing my writing on a blog and on Instagram and um, for me it's both a way for me to heal and to hopefully reach out to anyone who felt like I did 10 years ago where maybe they don't have a community or they don't have support um, and so yeah that's um sacredunraveling.com and on Instagram so it it just says a thing I'm pretty excited about and like a way for me to make a difference in the world now mm. yes well thank you so much for the work that you do and, and what you're doing to help other people and sharing your story I've greatly enjoyed this conversation and thank you for your just vulnerability and just strength and bravery in your own story because you have been through so much and I'm so glad you're able to share your story and just talk about the healing and growth that you've made. Thanks. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. Of course. And for everyone listening, please go follow her on social media and all the links will be in the show notes to our work. And this was speaking up with Andrew Pledger. Thank you for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Your support is much appreciated. Please leave a review and share with friends and family. And if you can, please support me on Patreon. And the link is in my description. Thank you so much for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger.